I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. Back and better than ever, we are Greeny and Company, presented by Progressive Insurance, jam-packed here on ESPN Radio on this Wednesday, working our way through a very busy sports week. Off-season questions burning brightly. Let's dive. Here we go! Only one place to start. Jack has done nothing to change my mind on any promise for the future. I think I said in the deal that we'd go as far as Dak takes us in the playoffs. I believe in Dak Prescott. I think he's clearly the answer. Uh, He's part of the solution moving forward. What an absolutely fascinating conversation Jerry Jones held with the world yesterday at the Senior Bowl. That's where it begins. Graziano, good enough to hang out after we wrap up Get Up this morning. Hashtag crew is here. Hembo's with us in New York, Bubba and Cam in Bristol. So in the span of uh, some very short period of time yesterday, Dan, yeah, Jerry Jones, who was at the Senior Bowl because mm-hmm. he is the general manager of the Dallas Cowboys. Football bear in mind, guy. no other owners are there, right? So I don't know. He's, I'm not there. But, but my point Could is, be. the owners don't go to the Senior Bowl. Mm-hmm. They don't go to Mobile, Alabama in late January to watch players that, that their general managers and scouts don't even know yet. It's probably unusual, yeah. Right? That's yes. just not the way but he always is. goes. Jerry's always there. Jerry's always there because yeah. he's the general manager. He's a football guy. Of the Dallas Cowboys. He's a football guy at the age of 81. And yesterday he managed to say in one conversation that Dak, we will go as far as Dak will take us, and that was what you saw. You saw how far we went. That's how far Dak took us. And then he said, Mike McCarthy has us hanging around the rim, but there isn't any question in my mind that I could work with Bill Belichick. Yeah. None. None. He said none twice. Yes, he did. He emphasized the none. The Dallas Cowboys, I have figured it out, Dan, Yeah, are the best reality show in the history of television. There's The Bachelor, one of the most famous reality shows, The Bachelor, Survivor. <laughs> no Hembo certainly doesn't. Your wife watches, watches these things. Doesn't watches she? baseball. I she After them. I go to bed. <laughs> Perhaps. Whatever the most famous ba- uh, reality shows are. I don't watch them either. Don't, don't, the uh, best yeah. of them all is The Dallas Cowboys, right? That's The only I way mean, to explain this is that. Look, he's a salesman, right? And yeah. he has absolutely done an incredible job of maximizing the value of his asset, which is which is his franchise, the Dallas Cowboys. He I think Jerry believes that anything that gets said about the Dallas Cowboys is good, whether it's good or bad. Like the fact that it's being said, the fact that we're talking about the fact that you led both your shows today with this is just just music to Jerry's ears. And. I think that's what we're seeing. We're also seeing negotiation, right? Like he knows he's got a negotiation coming out with Dak Prescott. So I think he started it yesterday. Like, but talk, talking about, well, you know, we've, t- we've gone as far as he'll take us. Right. I've always said the same thing. You know, Dak Prescott is a, is a, a fourth round pick that hasn't had playoff success, right? Like the, when you're negotiating a contract with the guy, that's how you want to start it from, from the uh, employer's end of it. And we'll see where it ends up. But I think that's what we heard yesterday. What do you think of all this, Hembo? I don't know that. 
in this case, that's the right tact for Jerry Jones to take. Well, yeah. It struck me as a different situation last time when the Cowboys actually had some team leverage. This time they have basically none, right? Like, basically gave, no leverage. But he gave away his leverage last time when you know he, he didn't do it at the first opportunity, right? And, and, and look, Dak had something to do with that too, right? The asking price. But the fact that they took... They had to franchise him once and then really franchise him again, even though they got it done like a day later. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that hurt his leverage the first time. So I don't think he – Jerry's not care about money. Like, he'll pay like – he can pay whatever he wants. He's got all the money in the world. Uh, but I do think he cares about, you know, winning negotiations, <laughs> right? Like, I think he, I think he sees it as, as kind of a, a competition. Here's the thing. I may not know reality TV, but here's what I do know. I know rom-coms. That's my genre of expertise. <laughs> and the best of them is When Harry Met Sally. You're our Ted Lasso. And the most famous line in When Harry Met Sally yeah. is when at the end Billy Crystal says to Meg Ryan, when you decide the person you want to spend the rest of your life with, you want the rest of your life to begin as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. And you know what Jerry Jones didn't do? He didn't do anything approaching that with Dak Prescott the first time around. Correct. And what that tells you is, and I have been saying this for years, Dan, you've been sitting next to me as I have said it, and I don't know if you've agreed or not, because I know that it takes two to tango, and it's not always been as simple as, well, the Cowboys didn't give Dak what he wanted. Right. But at the end of the day, every team that wants to get their young, emerging star quarterback signed does. Joe Burrow. Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, uh, with the exception of Lamar Jackson, and that became a different situation because of the guaranteed piece. Mm-hmm. They all get them done. So and the that- Cowboys, it got messy, ugly, and he played on the franchise tag. Right. So it got messy and ugly. It got messy and ugly in Baltimore. Didn't get to a franchise. Actually, right. I think, they, they I put the franchise tag on. They didn't play. Again, that was right. a different—I I think the perception, at least— yeah. was that Lamar Jackson wanted something that no quarterback got. That right. no, the Deshaun Watson yeah, thing yeah, skewed yeah. everything. I think that was a unique situation. But it did get ugly. He made a trade request, and there, and there were all those kinds of things. Look, and, and the other thing is this is a different contract for Dak Prescott. This is, this is a second one, right. right? Or a third one, right? The rookie contract. Then the, so all these guys, Burrow, Herbert, Lamar, like this is almost formulaic. Like you get to your second contract, you're healthy. No, you've but had that success. was his second boom, one. Boom, boom, his, boom. His, but I'm talking about then. So you're, oh, you're not talking about this one now. This, that didn't get done so easily the no, first time. No, but it did get done. But it took forever, and sure, he, had to play no, on the, he had to play on the tag to I, do it. I get the point it. I'm trying to make is Jerry Jones has never decided that Dak Prescott is the guy he wants to spend the rest of his life with. That's okay. He's the owner of the team. He's also the general manager of the yeah. team. If that's how he feels about Dak Prescott, if he doesn't think he's that level of player, that he's more than entitled to think that. What I'm saying is I think that informs everything we have seen happen with this franchise from top to bottom for the last five years. Yeah, I think, look, it's nice that we have access to contract data because it tells you exactly how a team values a player. Like, Mm. like, there's a dollar amount. So they gave Dak Prescott a top-of-the-market quarterback deal, and, and now it is coming to an end. It's got one year left on it. So how do they value him now? When the last time Russell Wilson came to the end of a contract with the Seattle Seahawks, the Seahawks decided... We don't think he's that player anymore. We're going to trade him and let somebody else pay him the money he's looking for. And that's what happened. I don't get the sense that that's what's about to happen in Dallas. 
but Dak Prescott does hold a unique amount of leverage with his salary cap number approaching $60 million, with a, a clause that prohibits them from using the franchise or transition tag on him uh, and allows him to get to free agency completely unfettered and gives them incentive to do a deal with him at his number because they want to get that cap number down. So we'll see. It's not as simple as how does... How do the Dallas Cowboys value Dak Prescott? We'll find that out when we see what they offer him. But that doesn't guarantee they'll get to a deal. And they can value him very highly, frankly, and he can still tell them to pound sand. Bubba, let's talk to you as our our, our, uh, Cowboys fan uh, on this program that everybody knows. What is your perspective on all of this, on the stuff Cherry said yesterday, on McCarthy long-term slash Belichick, on Dak long-term slash what are they doing? What is your reaction to all of this in Dallas? Yeah, I mean, well, McCarthy coming back to begin with, I would say, is a mistake. I wish we had Belichick there, so I'm I'm hoping next year will be Belichick. I think the stuff Jerry is saying, I guess I would say I technically probably agree with what he's saying, but I I just don't think he should be saying those things. I don't think it's what you be should be saying to your locker room. I think, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I agree that, yes, Dak, I don't think Dak, should get another contract. I, if it was up to me, I would say yeah, let him play out the contract. I, like I said, going into the season, if they don't get to the NC Championship game, I would move on from McCarthy, Dak, Quinn, and just start over because we can't just keep doing the same thing every year because it's just not working. So if they're going to do it again this year, I guess that's what they're going to be doing. I don't want to give anyone a long-term contract because it's just not going to keep working. If they want to try it one more time, Fine. So, I mean, for the, I technically agree with what Jerry's saying, but I don't think it's helping anymore considering what all the, the family's been saying about Dak. This is just more stuff that's being said. So I don't think it's helping in any way, but I actually kind of agree with the stuff Jerry's saying. All right. So, so we've got that sitting there. The other conversation that I really liked from TV this morning, Dan, was the one about Brock Purdy. And I don't want anyone to mistake my perspective on this. I think Brock Purdy is a tremendous story, first and foremost. And he's been a terrific player for them. He's been great. The reason this came up in our meeting this morning, it actually started with Jared Goff. Yeah. Like, is... I'm going to put this to you in the form of a question. Are we approaching a time where every above-average quarterback in the National Football League is going to make $50 million a year. Well, I mean, maybe, right? So how do front offices handle this? Um, do you? I know front offices around the league are running you know, uh, simulations and stuff to try and figure out like, what the optimal number is to pay your quarterback, right? Like, can, you build, can you have long-term success if you pay the quarterback at this level? That's part of what happened in Seattle. I referenced the Russell Wilson thing. Mm-hmm. So that's going on. In the meantime, the, the number just keeps going up. So Brock Purdy can't negotiate a new contract till after the 2024 season by rule because that's his third season in the league. So let's hypothetically say he wins the Super Bowl in a week and a half and then he wins another one next year. Uh, 55 is not going to be enough. Right. right. If, if you win back-to-back right. Super Bowls, then, so, then, then I would have no argument. Right. With this, so let's obviously. say they lose the Super Bowl, and then next year they go 10-7, and seven and he misses three games. You know, right? So now what are you going to pay him? You like him. But, you know, what are you going to so, so I think a lot, of, a lot still lies between now and their decision on Brock Purdy. But to your broader question, which I think incorporates Goff, who's about to make 27.3 next year if they don't do anything, um, is there a middle ground? I think we saw it this offseason with Daniel Jones, but I don't think anybody really wants to live in that world. I think you either want to do what the Niners are doing and get by with a quarterback on a rookie deal, uh, or you want to pay the premium and build around him, which 
you know, has worked if you're Kansas City, but it hasn't really worked too many other places. So I, I think we're in a potential transition period in the NFL where, where teams have to figure out what to do um, and whether they can just continue to, to jack up the quarterback prices as they have been because at some point I think they're going to find it's untenable. I mean, historically, Greeny, it's been about – about 15%. Like that's the most amount right. that your salary cap can absorb from one player. That's, that's basically been what the math has said. The Niners are going to have the opportunity to, play, to pay Brock Purdy almost nothing right. the next two years, which is an, an enormous benefit. What I don't necessarily like is how we've moved the goalposts on Super Bowl week to go from like, this is a great story. This is a guy who's operating this offense at a super high level. What difference does it make how much they're going to have to pay him two years from now? Right. Like that, that's the, well, they're going to have to pay him next a different year. conversation. You're not going to have him go into the fourth year of his, of his perhaps deal. not. But what I'm saying is like, th- these are two separate things. What Brock Purdy is doing right now is playing MVP level football. And this offense is functioning better than it ever has. And that is a wonderful thing for him and for the Niners, and that's going to give him a great chance to win this year and next year. Right. But what does like how much they have to pay him two years from now have anything to do with that? These because are two they, very separate things. No, they're not. Because what it, there are many people, and maybe I'm one of them, who believes that he is the beneficiary of being in a system that we saw Jimmy Garoppolo take a team to the Super Bowl. And the minute Jimmy Garoppolo was no longer there... He can't play at all. I mean, literally at all. So I just sat here. And of quarterbacks under the age of 30, so not, not even including Kirk Cousins or Matt Stafford or Aaron Rodgers or anyone else that you would want who is over just quarterbacks under the age of 30, I think that there are at least 10 that if you just said these guys are all on the open market, you would take before you would take him, and maybe as many as 15 that are just under the age of 30. I mean, if you put, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just throwing a number out there. If you put Trevor Lawrence on the San Francisco 49ers, would they, would they get better or worse or stay the same? I, it's a question, not an answer. I'm, not, I'm not giving better. you an answer. Yeah. You would think better. But what difference does the answer make? Like, that's not how the NFL works. People don't, don't become it free does agents because the year. point is you can, no, but you can start, if you're the 49ers, you could find someone else in two years who could do exactly what he did is my question. It is, if, if, you were go, if you were looking at it from that standpoint, so, wouldn't you do that? So in the two games preceding the Super Bowl five years ago when the Niners got there, Jimmy Garoppolo accounted for 29% of their offense. Mm-hmm. This year, Brock Purdy has accounted for 74% of their offense. It is true. That's it's more. because they were in closer games. I mean, that, that's the reason why. They no, ran the ball down not, Green though. Bay's throat by six. Didn't they run, only throw the ball like eight times they against did. Green Bay? They, they did. That was, you that was there. You were there. Garoppolo was yeah. bad. They did it that way because if you can run the ball oh. down a team's throat, you keep doing it. It's not because because Garoppolo was bad, it's because Garoppolo was limited and untrustworthy, right? So, like, they trust Brock Purdy to do more things than they ever trusted Jimmy Garoppolo to do. Their passing game is more complex than it ever was under Jimmy Garoppolo. I I don't think there's any doubt about that. And, yes, he's got Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle, and that's awesome. But the fact of the matter is, like, they they believe he has the ability to do more. They believe he anticipates throws uh, differently and better mm. than Jimmy Garoppolo ever did. So, so there is a difference. It's not just, you know, plug and play. They believe they can do more. They thought when they drafted Trey Lance that he would be the guy that would unlock new levels of their offense because of the different things he could do. That turned out not to be the case. But they tripped over Brock Purdy <laughs> and found that he could elevate, maybe not to where they had hoped, you know, 
like if Trey Lance turned into the next Josh Allen, but but certainly beyond where they've been uh, with Garoppolo as a starter. All right, let, let me I'll leave it there for the moment. Gras, thank you, as always, it for being here pleasure, as we as need you as we dive for 30 of the 32 teams into the offseason. I've, I've got this list, Hembo. You and I are going to go back and forth on this a little bit because I don't like to smile on your face. I need to wipe <laughs> it off because I'm right and you're wrong, and I'll prove it next. We're just getting started. It's Greeny on ESPN Radio. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute, but Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas that you can easily pick out something special to celebrate them both. You can shop by price, anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, and more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything, pre-wrapped gifts or gifts for grandma. Find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung smart TVs. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Greeny, the podcast. Greeny with you on ESPN Radio. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. What a week we got working here. So much going on, on and off the field. Countdown to the Super Bowl. All the off-season stories. Big NBA injury news. We'll get you to all of it this morning after this word from ESPN Bet, which is now live. As the official sports book of ESPN, ESPN Bet is the only place to find daily exclusives and offers with your favorite ESPN personalities and shows. Sign up today. New users get $100 in bonus bets for making any sports book bet. Find all your favorite markets and bets like in-game wagering, cross-sport parlays, teasers, and all the props you can handle. That's ESPN Bet. Download today. What a play. Must be 21-plus and present in a legal gambling state. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. So has everyone seen Diana Rossini's piece in The Athletic about the New York Jets? A deep dive, if you will, into the Jets that paints their organization as a paranoid and incompetent one um, in that order. And it is fascinating reading. I'll give everyone a minute, if you haven't seen it yet, to read up on it, and then I will offer some of my thoughts as we continue. But I first want to dive back into this. I love the Brock Purdy story. I love the kid. I love his parents. I think everything about it is terrific, and I wish him nothing but the best. I also root for every athlete and every person to get paid as much money as they possibly can. So I'm not sitting here counting anybody's money. I am merely asking the question— Just how good 
do we think Brock Purdy is? I think Kyle Shanahan is now in that rarefied air of being one of the genuinely great offensive coaches of all time. I think he's got to go in there. I'm not putting him on a level with Bill Walsh, but that's where you start talking about what this guy has accomplished. What the 49ers did by trading up to take a quarterback where they did and missing that badly, the penance for that, the punishment for that is supposed to be becoming the Jets becoming the Patriots, becoming the Bears, sucking as a result. It is supposed to devastate your organization. And the fact that they did that, and instead he was able to turn the last pick in the draft into a guy who now people are talking about the way they're talking about Brock Purdy, demonstrates that he has got it going on. That guy is the best coach in the sport. That's first. That's my opinion. So let's start with that. Next, I just sat here. I'm only including quarterbacks in the league who are under the age of 30. So this does not include Kirk Cousins or Matt Stafford or Aaron Rodgers or anyone else who might fall in that category. But if you, Hembo, were a, a general manager and you're starting a, um, an expansion team, okay. so this has nothing to do with it's not a cap question, it's not an anything question, it's not a style question, you haven't even hired your coach yet. You could just have any of these quarterbacks to be the first pick. Totally context neutral. Totally context neutral. I'm just going to say a name. You tell me if you would take Brock Purdy ahead of this person. Cool. Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes. Josh Allen. Allen. Joe Burrow. Burrow. Lamar Jackson. Lamar. Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts. Dak Prescott. Dak. Jared Goff. Goff. Tua Tungavailoa. Purdy. Okay. So that's take that one out. Daniel Jones. Purdy. Take that one out. Justin Fields. Purdy. Take that one out. Jordan Love. Love. C.J. Stroud. Stroud. Uh, Trevor Lawrence. Trevor. Josh Herbert. Uh, Justin Herbert. Uh, what did I say? Josh. Jo- sorry, Justin Herbert. Uh, and then Kyler Murray. Uh, Purdy. Okay. So that's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. You know what? So, I'll, so I'll... What, you've just, what you've just said yeah. is that he is, he is like the 12th best quarterback in the league that is under the age of... 30. No, I didn't. Or, or at minimum, that he is the one with the, with the 12th best potential for where he is going to go. Meaning, if he was playing somewhere else, how differently things would look. Right. If Trevor Lawrence had wound up in San Francisco, if Josh Allen had wound up in San Francisco, if uh, uh, any, Jalen Hurts was on San Francisco, like they would be at, at least equally unstoppable. I can't argue they'd be much better because they were the one seed and they're now in the Super Bowl. But what I'm saying is I think context is everything, and the context of this was unimaginably good. Yeah, that's right. You and I agree on the, 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 the foundation here, that Brock Purdy is propped up by an incredible system that props up quarterbacks. What I'm saying is that we have a lot of data from Kyle Shanahan because he's called plays in the NFL for a dozen years now. And aside from Matt Ryan's 2016 season, one in which he won the MVP and the Falcons blew a 28-3 lead in the Super Bowl— this is as well as, as any of them have played, which is inclusive of Robert Griffin III. It's inclusive of Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, this is a high-level quarterback playing at a really, really high level. And to context neutralize this is kind of a fool's errand because that doesn't happen in the NFL. Like, Brock Purdy is going to be playing in this system. So I don't see what value it adds to the conversation to say, all right, let's restart the whole league. Let's redraft everybody because that's not how this stuff I'll works. I'll tell you the value Tell me. is because... At some point, 
he doesn't cost you nine hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and you have to decide if signing him is worth losing whatever the equivalent at that point is of Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle and whatever other players you can't otherwise afford to lose, or you're better off having all those players and finding the next Brock Purdy who might be ten percent less good but costs you. of what it costs you to pay a a, a great quarterback. The reason I'm getting to this Mm -hmm. is... We are going. We are. We're entering a world where we're going to start paying good players, great player money, and that's why these teams don't win. Because what well, you got a quarterback, you got to pay him. Do you? You got to pay fifty-five million dollars for Jared Goff? I'm sorry, I, I just don't think so. I, again, God bless him. I hope he gets his fifty-five million dollars. I hope he's happy with it. But if I were running a team, I would be very hesitant to do that. I would have a hard time giving Brock Purdy fifty-five million dollars based upon twenty-five games with twenty-six games now, which is what we've seen him play in the NFL, but this is not a now decision. They have the opportunity to, to pay him next year less than a million dollars. Then the year after that is his fourth year. And then theoretically, you can franchise him not once but twice. So if you're so confident in Kyle Shanahan's system that you want to go that route, that's fine. But that's two, three, four years from now where you can still benefit from the fact that this guy's going to be pretty cheap. Well, you don't have to commit long-term dollars to this guy. And who's to say that Kyle Shanahan can't find a running back or, or a receiver or a tight end in the draft that can also make his system hum. I mean, Jer- uh, Brandon Ayuk was a, a late one or, an, or, or a two. Like, George Kittle was a, fifth round, a fourth or fifth round pick. So it's not to, like, quarterback is not the only position where that would necessarily apply in a system. If you're saying that Shanahan's as good as you think he is, he can find other guys that can make the system work too that aren't necessarily just the quarterback. By the way, and perhaps this is just an aside, I don't know that he's playing better than RG3 did as a rookie. Oh, he absolutely is. RG3 as a rookie completed 60, 65.5% of his passes for 3,200 yards, 20 touchdowns, and five picks. He ran for 815 yards and seven touchdowns. Mm-hmm. I mean, how much better than that can you be? Uh, Brock Purdy was considerably better than that this year. I mean, when you're averaging nine yards per pass attempt, which is what Brock Purdy did, you were doing something historically great. Okay, I mean, RG3 averaged 8.1 yards per pass attempt on a team that, so which, which, what is the, I I believe that led the league that year. I'm I'm trying to see why these numbers are in. I think he led the NFL in passer rating that season. He was was outstanding. I'm not taking anything away from Robert Griffin III that year. What I'm saying is that he was not an MVP level player. Brock Purdy led the NFL in QBR. If you do that, you win the MVP except for this year. Brock Purdy is magnificent. Absolutely magnificent in this system. He's better than RG3 was that year. The only person that compares is 2016 Matt Ryan. He's the only one. I mean, you're discounting the running, right? I mean, he ran for 815 yards. What, what, did we do QBR that year? Yeah, we did. I'll so pull it up right now. what was QBR in 2012? I'd just be curious to know. What was Brock Purdy's QBR? We, we've now separated ourselves from the previous conversation. Sure. What was Brock Purdy's QBR this year relative to rg So RG3's was 69.4, and Brock Purdy this year was 75.4. It's 5% better. That's a big difference, yeah. It's a, it's a big difference on that scale, and that includes the running. That includes the quality of the opponent. That includes everything. Now, obviously, this is a 49ers team with more weapons, with better weapons, and that counts for something, too. What I'm saying is that you seem to have some built-in biases against Brock Purdy. Not to say that you don't think he's good, but you are giving Kyle Shanahan a disproportionate amount of credit. Jimmy Garoppolo in 2019 was a quarterback who was benefiting from the yards after the catch phenomenon. Like, more than half of the yardage that Jimmy Garoppolo gained that year as a quarterback, 55%. 
was coming from that. Brock Purdy this year is like 10% less than that. Brock Purdy this year ranked in the bottom third in the NFL in the amount of yardage that he got from Yak. He is not merely dumping the ball off and going. He is challenging the defense downfield in a way that no Kyle Shanahan quarterback ever has. Let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. In 2003, what kind of conversations were we having about Tom Brady? What kind of conversations were we having about Charlie Weiss and how much credit he deserved, how much credit that defense deserved? I'm not saying he's going to become Brady because I think that is exceedingly unlikely. What I am saying is that all of the evidence says that Brock Purdy has been absolutely phenomenal and for whatever reason, we are assigning as much credit as we possibly can to everybody else. Let me get Cam in on this conversation because for reasons known only to me, I sort of am interested to hear what he thinks. Cam, what is your take? (laughs) Yeah, I think it's, as with everything, it's somewhere in between. You always say, Greeny, these quarterbacks are more often ruined than made, and Brock Purdy is the perfect example of a quarterback who has been made. If Brock Purdy went to the Bears, he'd probably suck. But that doesn't mean he's a bad player. It just means he is benefiting from the coaching, the talent around him, but they are also benefiting from him. Like Hembo said, this offense is operating more efficiently than it ever has. So I think taking out the the context and you know picking who the best quarterback in the league is, he's not going to make one of those top charts, but that doesn't mean that he's not one of the most effective quarterbacks with the, the system that he's running, and that happens to be the system that he's running and probably will be running for several more years. I agree, once you get to the money part of it, it could change, and you mm-hmm. could find someone who's more efficient with less you know money attached to them once he gets that money but right now there's no better option for them because he's the one running it he knows how he's running it and he's running it really well so I think to supplant someone else in there in a hypothetical is kind of weird just because he's doing a great job with it right now only because the only reason I bring it up is because the money is a zero-sum game right Mm -hmm. everyone can spend exactly the same amount of money on a team and how much you it is it is the ultimate in robbing Peter to pay Paul and when Peter is really, really, really cheap, you can pay a lot for Paul. And we've seen a lot of quarterbacks look really good when they were Peter. And then when all of a sudden they became Paul, and I don't know if I'm using the analogy correctly or not, I don't even really know exactly who Peter and Paul are. <laughs> I assume you do. Very well. Yeah, so, so I mean, you're, you're tight with Peter and Paul. One is a disciple, the other is an apostle. And okay. he's Paul. Uh, are you? That's correct. You're Paul. Named after the Apostle Paul. Are you named after the Apostle Paul? Named after the Apostle Paul. Wow. What is he best known for? He's best known for uh, transforming from Saul to Paul by seeing the the, the light on the road to Damascus. I'd be happy to tell you about it sometime. Okay. And he got paid. Sir, if you just give me five minutes of your day. (laughs) That could be be for General Knowledge Wednesday. We've got two hours here. I still think we should do. Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance. Protect your home and auto. Save when you bundle. Get a quote at Progressive.com. Meanwhile. I'm sorry. What? I'm sorry. What? I'm sorry. What? I'm sorry. What? I want you to hear what Legereus Sneed yesterday said here on ESPN Radio. He was on with Carlin versus Joe. And he was asked if he was surprised the Ravens didn't run the ball more. I'll remind you that the Baltimore Ravens gave their running backs six carries in the AFC Championship game in a game where the margin of their um, of their deficit was never greater than 10 points. Um, and so we wondered, well, how much of that is what the defense is doing, et cetera, et cetera. Legereus needs answer. You can debate whether the Ravens should have tried to run the ball anyway or not, but it is, I think, telling in the way at least this one defense 
viewed Lamar Jackson. Again, this is Lajarius Need answering the question, were you surprised the Ravens didn't run the ball more? Uh, yes, man. You know, that was our idea, though, to get them to throw the ball. And that's what we made them do a little. Try to stop Lamar from running the ball. But, yeah, it was definitely surprising that they didn't run the ball as much as they usually do. What did you guys do to try to force that, to try to make them throw the football? Was the feeling right away that if we set Lamar up to try to beat us through the air, we're going to be able to beat him? Yeah, yeah. We just did what we did, you know, spat through all type of coverages at him. You know, we manned up on the outside. You know, the guys up front handled him, and that's what happened. They loaded the bus up on him. And make sure we made Lamar throw the ball. We knew we was going to have success. Make sure we made Lamar throw the ball. We knew we'd have success. So that is the old question about Lamar Jackson. I mean, there's Legarius Sneed, who's a terrific player, by the way, and who made the biggest play of the game by far. His punch out on Zay Flowers completely changes that game. Um, but there he is saying, we knew if we make Lamar Jackson throw the ball, we're going to have success. That's the MVP of the league he's talking about, right? Right. That's astonishing. Uh, it's astonishing, especially when you consider what the Ravens were, the way that the Ravens overhauled, and what the Ravens became, which was <laughs> the same thing. The whole arc of this thing took us back to the very beginning, when we had been reliably informed that Greg Roman was the problem, right? So they replaced the OC with a new guy, a guy who was going to diversify the pass game. And in the end, look, Lamar Jackson looked exactly the same that he did in the previous three losses he ever had in the playoffs, yeah. which is astonishing to me. And in watching the game, like Lamar made so many of the same kinds of mistakes that we were accustomed to him making before. I actually haven't seen Lamar Jackson sort of diversify his portfolio from that standpoint. You saw him with a lot of sort of layups that he just missed. Um, the lack of touch on the short throws, overthrowing the long ones. Like Lamar Jackson had the same misses that he did five years ago. Six years ago. So part of me wonders if that's what the Chiefs think of him. Maybe that's what the NFL thinks of him. And maybe that Lamar, maybe Lamar Jackson's ceiling is basically what we've seen. Someone when you have to prepare for week to week. It's like the service academy. It's really tough to deal with that running, again, uh, running attack. But when you have, you know, you can put all of your reinforcements into one particular area and you have a good defense way that the Chiefs did, you can nullify the pass game, the MVP of the league. That's what they want the MVP of the league to do to throw the ball more. It's a remarkable thing for him to say. It really is. In the meantime, the quarterback who knocked him out, Patrick Mahomes, I've got a green list today that will involve him, the top five quarterback receiver duos in NFL playoff history. That is on the way. Hembo's trivia question is on the way. But up next, recommended reading. Take a look at what Diana wrote on The Athletic about the New York Jets. I have thoughts. You'll hear them next on ESPN Radio. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, 
Who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Greeny, the podcast. Earlier on Greeny. You don't bring Aaron Rodgers back next year to try and win by tearing it all down, bringing in a new coach, and trying to figure it out. That would mean the Rodgers experiment never actually taking place. So I think what the Jets will probably do is try and patch the holes, keep the people they have in place in place, and hope that Rodgers is able to do it. I don't know what else they would do. This is Greeny. Yeah, that was me that said that. Greeny, <laughs> live as always from the Seaport, brought to you by Patron Perfection. Starts with Patron. And I guess I still think that. But as you read Diana Rossini's deep dive into the Jets on The Athletic, you realize, and I 100% believe everything that she writes, um, you realize that things are just as bad as you imagine they could possibly be. You know, sometimes I, I, I do think, in the interest of giving everyone involved the benefit of the doubt, you know, if you lift the, the veil on almost anything, lift the curtain on almost any high-level endeavor and expose everything to sunlight without it being um, positioned in, in, in any way, without it being spun in a way that people want it spun, it, it all might not look real pretty, right? It's just... These are, these are complicated things. You're dealing with so many personalities, so many egos, so many conflicting agendas that it probably would look this way inside almost any losing team. But if you read this, you just are struck by how thoroughly dysfunctional it is. And the word agendas is the one that I will use the most. And Aaron said it on McAfee show. Aaron said, we need to stop with all of this BS. And people immediately attacked him because they don't like him. And again, I understand it. He says a lot of things that make him very, very polarizing. But because he says so many controversial things, people then say, well, he shouldn't be accusing others of saying controversial things. He isn't. He's accusing others of saying things that directly impact the organization's ability to succeed. And in his mind, at least, I don't think he thinks he's doing that. And other people clearly are. And they're telling all of these things to Diana. And if there's one word that sort of, I think, weaves all the way through it, you have to read the piece because it's long. And there's a ton in there. Um, The word that I would use is agendas. When things start falling apart, everybody's agenda changes. I think in probably every team in any sport, When the season begins, everyone wants to win the championship. And if things are progressing towards that, I think most people become willing to sacrifice at least some of their own personal best interest in the interest of winning a championship because winning a championship is so 
it's not only so hard to do and so rare, but it is, it is something that everyone aspires to. You don't get to that point in sports, whether you're an athlete, whether you're a coach, no matter who you are, w- without chasing that hard. So when things are going well, I think in practically every situation, most people's agenda is going to run, at least run parallel with the interest of winning. When things start to go sideways, that's when you find out what kind of character and leadership you actually have. When people's agendas suddenly start to conflict. Just imagine two parallel lines. All right, we're winning. I want to win a championship and I want good things to happen for me. Those are two parallel tracks. Those are two trains running on the same track or or on, on tracks that are parallel to each other. Now, all of a sudden, we're losing. We're not going to win a championship. So what's in my best interest? Suddenly, that train is running perpendicular. And when two trains are running on perpendicular tracks, the only result is a train wreck. And that's what the Jets became. And that's what they are. And what they're counting on is Aaron Rodgers to save it. Maybe he can. If he does, it'll be one of the greatest jobs I've ever seen. There are so many quotes in the story that will just boggle the mind. So many instances, the whole Zach Wilson didn't want to play thing, which Diana had back then, and they completely uh, denied, etc. cetera, and, and so many other elements. At the end of the day, what you're seeing are people, including the coaches, whose agendas ceased to be about winning first and foremost, and instead were about self-preservation. Now, it's very easy for me, standing here, as a fan of the team who has no other stake in it, to criticize that. Because if my job, my career, my way of, of, of creating a livelihood for my family were on the line, I'm sure I would react the same way. But what is for certain is you cannot win that way. So the person who has the mess on their hands here is the owner. Because at the end of the day, he's the only one guaranteed to be there a year from now. You've got a whole bunch of people that are coming back for one year, and there may not be another team in the NFL where as many people are on notice, where as many people are on a one-year prove-it plan as the New York Jets will be. And that can only that can go one of two ways. There's no third option. That will either go really well. They'll draft well, they'll fix the offensive line, and Rodgers will solve so many of their problems, both on and off the field, that they'll have a good year. And those, those trains will start running on parallel tracks again. That would be fabulous. The much likelier scenario is that even Aaron Rodgers, as great as he is, at the then age of 41 coming off this bad injury, will not be able to solve all of their problems. Some of the things that the lack of a second real receiver, the offensive line, all the things where the problems were, the inexperience and at times in over his headedness of the head coach, those things will start to become problems again. And it'll get parallel, those parallel tracks will suddenly become perpendicular again and the result will be a train wreck and everyone but the owner will be gone. Literally everyone will be gone. And that's where we are. One of the most staggering aspects of this reporting is this sentence. Uh, the Athletic spoke to 30 sources in and around the organization, some of whom were granted anonymity, that yada, yada, yada. Greeny, how are the Jets, how did the Jets become an organization that is so leaky? 30 people in and around the organization is so many people. Yeah. I mean, more, I've read more in this piece. Then I heard come out of New England in 20 years. How does that kind of culture 
how can that kind of culture be you know, created and then permeated well, to this? Well, I've, I've told you because you have conflicting agendas. And a lot of that goes back to the owner. We talk a lot about Jerry Jones not fostering a culture of winning, not fostering a culture where everyone feels empowered and stable, etc. We don't talk about Woody Johnson doing the same thing because no one really cares but me. But at the end of the day, he is extremely concerned about what's being said about him, on, about their team on talk shows, about what's being said on in newspapers and all those kind of places. And when that happens, when he doesn't really have a plan that involves any one person, but is constantly being influenced by mm-hmm. the things that he hears, you want to be the last voice in his ear. And there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that going on. There's a lot of, it's not my problem, it's his problem. He's the guy who got it wrong. And every single year they blame somebody else. They blame somebody different, which is why, look, bring everybody back and let everybody know this is it. The Jets are either going to make the playoffs next year or they're going to be the worst team in the league. I genuinely believe that. One of the or the other of those two things is going to happen. I mean, do you think success, at least high-level success, is is even possible with, with, a, with a culture, with, a, with an infrastructure looking like? I actually like, do. Because the quarterback is so good. Because the quarterbacks, because winning solves all that. You know, because if they win, mm-hmm. none of that stuff matters. If, if, if you win, and this is true of every franchise. Like, we talk about the Chicago Bears and the things they get wrong all the time, which are entirely different things. They get structural things wrong. All they got to do is get it right once, and that ceases to be the case, right? You just have to get it. The problem is when you never get it right, this just compo- you know, compounds upon itself. And that's how you wind up in New York with 30 different people talking anonymously about what's wrong behind the scenes. <laughs> what, what isn't obvious to me, though, is that winning is even possible with this as the foundation to lay. I mean, Aaron Rodgers like, c- comes from Green Bay, like the ultimate in-house kind of place, and comes here, and that's the first thing that he complains but about. Do you know why it's possible? Why is it possible? They're good players. I mean, that's the thing. Bill Belichick said it in his goodbye press conference in New England. Players win games in the National Football League. They have a lot of good players. Do they have good coaches? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't. I think Aaron Rodgers has to be that. I genuinely do. I think Aaron Rodgers has to do more than any other player in the NFL for them to succeed. That's why I would describe this as unlikely, but I don't think it's impossible. I guess we're going to find out. It's recommended reading. We're back in a flash. You're listening to Greeny on ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to Greeny, the podcast. You can listen live each weekday morning at 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio or watch the show through the watch tab on the ESPN app. Also catch Greeny on Get Up weekday mornings at 8 on ESPN and also available wherever you get your podcasts.